psychology, this has become such an important concept that it's been what's referred to as the habit loop. And what the habit loop says is that every single habit in your life, my life, half of what we do, every single one of them has three parts. There's a cue, which is like a trigger for an automatic behavior to start. And there's a routine, which is the behavior itself. And then finally, there's a reward. And this reward is incredibly important because it's how our brain learns to latch on to a particular automatic behavior. I want to tell you a story about Starbucks. Is anyone here familiar with Starbucks? So, anyone like it? <laughs> so let me ask you, what does Starbucks sell? Coffee, right. Wrong. Howard Schultz, the head of the company, says is what we're selling is customer service. When you go into Starbucks, you know there's going to be like soft music and like this wood paneling and someone's going to ask your name and they're going to write it in big cursive letters on your cup. Starbucks sells you an experience. And the problem for Starbucks was that this worked really well for a long time. There were some hiccups. And the reason why is because most of Starbucks employees are high school students, recent high school graduates, college students. Now, let me ask you, when you were 19 years old, did you make the best decisions in your life or some questionable ones? When I was 19, I was like an idiot for an entire decade. And for Starbucks, this was a problem because they kept on hiring all these people who they wanted to deliver customer service, and it turns out would act like they were 19 years old. And this wasn't a huge problem for a number of years until social media really took off. And I'm going to show you exactly how bad this can get. She was a loyal customer of Starbucks, loved the coffee, loved the service, but that changed a few weeks ago. This native New Yorker got steamed, not the light was inside her cup, but something written on the outside. And then when you looked at it, what did you think? I was shocked. I didn't, I didn't understand why. Why would they do that? Vicki Reveron is talking about this Starbucks cup. On the side, a Starbucks employee wrote what she ordered, a caramel frappuccino. But instead of scrawling her name on the side, she says he wrote the B word. It says B. My name is not B. It's Vicky. This video was seen by 1.8 million people within two weeks of it being on television. And so Starbucks goes and they do this investigation. What happened here? How could the, our system fall apart? And they find out that Vicky was served by this really nice kid. He was 19 years old. He had been working for Starbucks for nine months, had never had an employment problem. The night before Vicky comes in, this kid has a fight with his mom, doesn't sleep very well that night, comes in for his eight-hour shift. He's an hour seven and a half of this shift, and Vicky comes in. Now, what the kid did is inexcusable, right? Like, that is never, ever allowed. He has the additional bad luck of handing that cup to someone who looks at it and says, I'm going to get you. She leaves, calls a TV station. The TV station says, we can't be there for four and a half hours. And she says, oh, that's totally fine. I will go ahead and wait for you. Goes home, changes into her nicest blue blouse, <laughs> comes back, waits on the corner. TV station shows up. She sews in the cup. The moral of the story is, do not mess with Vicky. Schultz and the team, they try and start figuring out what can we do. And what they eventually come up with is, look, the problem is we need to teach our employees more willpower. Like, basically, these 19-year-old kids do a great job, but if they're tired and it's the end of their shift, they just kind of lose control of themselves. So they go back and they decide to rewrite all their training manuals. And what they do is they reform everything so that now your training is based around teaching you willpower habits. My favorite is this one called the latte habit. And this is how it works. You learn it in your first week. Your manager sits you down and they say, look, 
if an angry customer comes in, that's your cue. And what you should do is you should latte them, which means you should listen to their complaints. You should acknowledge their complaints. You should thank them for complaining. You should take care of their complaint by giving them like a free cup of coffee or anything else they want. And you should explain why this will never happen again. Because what Starbucks is actually doing here is they're teaching people life skills. And what's really interesting and important is when you think about what the reward is for the latte habit, it's that it's delivering something emotional. If you're 19 years old and someone, some adult comes up and starts yelling at you because they got the wrong coffee, it's completely threatening. It's terrifying. Your instinct is either to run away or to fight back. Starbucks is teaching you how to handle that situation, how to handle anyone who's upset. And in doing so, they're giving you an emotional reward. All right, well, last, last week I was part of the winning side. It's, uh, we're going to enjoy you guys playing with your uh, stress ball. So if the sermon gets too convicting or too difficult, you guys are going to be fine. You guys are going to have to, I don't know, squeeze your own hand or something during this next part. We're in a series called Habits. And as we look through this series, we're in a particular time in the calendar called Lent. And it's been practiced for you know, hundreds, even thousands of years, that during a time of Lent, you make a sacrifice. That you give up something, and people talk about, hey, I gave up meat, or I gave up sugar, or I gave up caffeine. But I want to try and show that there's two parts to this season of spiritual habits, and it's the second part that's critical. And the second part is this. We give up now in order to gain more later. Many times we talk about what we're going to give up now and giving up something, but we don't focus on the next part, which is, so what? What's the thing you're pursuing by giving one thing up? There's a great passage in the book of James, chapter 4, verse 8, that says, God draws near to those who draw near to him. And so this time in the calendar can be a time that you choose to draw near to God through certain habits. Maybe it's something you give up. And and you don't just give it up to say, hey, God, look, I gave it up. You give it up so that that time where you were watching Netflix or that time where you were you know, drinking coffee or that time that you were eating meat becomes a time that you try and connect with God in a deeper way. And what you're hoping for is to give up something now to gain something greater later, a deeper relationship with God, a greater sense of peace, a breakthrough in your marriage, an overcoming of a habit. You might say, well, that sounds a little spooky and mystical. But it doesn't. We see this in all areas of our life. You know, I might choose to get up and work out now when I could have slept in because I want to be healthier later. I might choose to not eat ice cream quite as often now so I can live a longer life later. That's a tough one. I might choose to, uh, when I come home at night, instead of just collapsing in the couch, what I want to do, I might choose to not collapse in the couch in order to interact with my kids and give up some time of my collapsing and relaxing in order to engage with my children. Or to flip it, I may purposely neglect some time with my kids so that I can have date nights and connect with my spouse. Because I'm hoping that by the time we get to empty nest, I still like the person I'm with. Right? But in order to do that, I'm going to have to give up some time from the constant bombardment of kids' activities to prioritize my marriage. For some of us, we're going to do that financially. We're going to take some money. Instead of spending all our money now, we're going to sacrifice some of the money we would have spent now in order to save for retirement later, in order to be more generous later. But the same thing. You sacrifice now to gain more later. And, and the same thing is true spiritually. 
For some of you, uh, we got about 80 men who come to our, our uh, Tuesday morning men's group. You sacrifice some sleep because you're getting up, you know, hour earlier to make it to our 609 meeting, a men's study. You sacrifice some sleep now to gain some tools to be a better husband, to connect with your purpose, to be a better dad. So this principle of the discipline or habit of sacrifice flows through all areas of our life. And we're going to look at three habitual realities in hopes that we can gain something better later. Our first reality is this. You can replace but not erase habits. You can replace but not erase habits. Here's a classic example. If I tell you to stop doing something all week long, I want you to stop being negative. Stop being negative. Put little notes up all over your house. Don't be negative. Don't be negative. Don't be negative. What are you thinking about all week long? Being negative. If I put, put signs all over your life, don't eat Twinkies, don't eat Twinkies, don't eat Twinkies. All week long, are you thinking about Twinkies? You think, I haven't thought about Twinkies in 20 years, but now I'm focused on the not. You can't erase habits. You can't erase bad habits. You replace habits. Instead of being negative, I want to remind myself to encourage Instead of having a critical spirit, I want to remind myself to replace that habit with being thankful and grateful and looking for the good. So this is a powerful spiritual reality talked about all through the Bible, that we replace, not erase, bad habits. So as we learned last week, there was a study done where they had some rats, and the rats went through the simplest maze ever, and their brains would kick on when there was a cue, And then, by the time this became a habit, it's like their brain went into dormant mode during the routine, and then their brain would kick on again once there was a reward. And they did studies of the rat's brains. And they found that if you want to change your habits and your choices and your routines, you need to focus on the cue and the reward, and that's a way to begin to replace habits. I'll give you an example. So at January, I don't usually make New Year's resolutions, but I thought I really want to practice the discipline of thankfulness more. So I thought, well, how am I going to remember to do that? So for me, in our first service, which is 100% different, our equipping service is 100% different from this service. So if you haven't been there on Saturday night or Sunday's at 8.50, we do praise and worship during that time. We do verse-by-verse Bible study during that time. It's 100% different from the service. And so we just went through a whole series on the book of 1 Thessalonians. And so we gave out memory verses for people to memorize. I thought, I'd like to start the habit of being thankful, and I'd also like the habit of memorizing the Bible. I thought, when am I really going to fit that in? So I took this card, and I put it on my dashboard right uh, over my speedometer. Every morning, I have the same habit. I get in the car, I put it in reverse, I pull out, and just as I'm taking off, instinctual, I press the button, and talk radio comes on, and I sort of zone my way to work. Listening to talk radio, and the reward of something maybe interesting or something funny comes on as I'm driving to work. So I thought, I'm going to use the same cue. And the, same, and the same reward, but I'm going to change the routine. So I got in my car. I would instinctually back up, turn on talk radio, and I'd look at my speedometer, and I'd go, oh, the scripture. That was my cue. I would then immediately turn off the radio, the button I just pushed, and I spent the first mile memorizing the scripture. So I sort of looked at it, go over my head as I was driving. And then I, what I would do is I would um, take the rest of the drive to work, and I would just thank God for things. God, thank you for, you know, my marriage and what's going on well in my marriage. Thank you for, for my kids. I pray for my kids. I thank God for all the things, the breath I have. And I've just got my brain focused on it. I got to the work every day, and I had the same reward. I was intellectually challenged. I had the same reward, some joy in my life, 
but I used the cue of touching that radio to create that discipline. My wife and I went on a date last Tuesday, and as we're coming home, I said, I just can't believe after two months of doing this how grateful I feel. But I didn't replace a habit. I mean, I didn't erase a habit. I replaced the habit. That's why I was able to do it. Well, there's a thing in the Bible called the Nazarite vow, and it was a habit that you would do for a certain period of time that would allow you to replace habits with other disciplines. So a guy named Paul who started the church, most of the churches we know today came from this guy named Paul. And here's what it says in the book of Acts. It says that he took a particular vow. He remained in a place a good time. He took leave of the brethren and sailed for Syria. Priscilla and Aquila were there, some folks he worked with. And he had his hair cut off at Centuria for he'd taken a vow. So he cut his hair off in order to start this vow, and now he's going to let his hair grow extensively. And as it grows, it's going to be a constant cue, a reminder to him that he is taking this period of time to try and seek God in a new and fresh way. And so every time as his hair is growing, as he feels the fact that he doesn't have any hair to begin with, it's a constant cue to remind him, oh, I'm taking this vow to try and draw closer to God during this time. So the first step in changing your habits is to find a cue. For the Nazarite vow, it was your hair became the cue. There's a few other ones I'll mention in a moment. So in his book, The Power of Habits, the, uh, the writer Charles mentions how this idea can work of replacing your habits. He mentions Alcoholics Anonymous. For those who got into AA, they realized that they all had cues. I feel depressed. I feel mad. I've got some emotional issue that occurs. Go ahead and put that next slide up. So in Alcoholics Anonymous, there is this cue, which is I'm depressed, I'm mad, and so my routine is I would go drink. I'd drink to escape. I'd drink to feel happy. Or sometimes i drink because I like being with people. I felt alone. Now I'm drinking. I'm with people. And they found the success in breaking that habit was to keep the same cue. In other words, you would write out and discover your cues. When I get depressed, I drink. Uh, when I'm lonely, I drink. When I'm bored, I drink. Then they would replace that routine of drinking with someone to call. You'd call your sponsor. And when, in talking with the sponsor, you'd get some of the same rewards. Somebody cares about me. I'm not alone. I get to talk about my issues. I get to escape for a little bit. And those who began to break the cycles were those who could identify their cues for their alcohol behaviors. And they could try and get the same reward. Hey, I just want to escape for a little bit. I want to not think about this for a little bit. And through that, they could build new, new skills. Now, Tony Dungy did the same thing. So Tony Dungy, nobody would hire him because every time he went to explain his coaching style, he would say, I'm all about habit formation. We'll call somebody else. But eventually somebody tried him, and you know, you know the story of how well he did. He began to work with his football players on cues. He said, in football, it's milliseconds that matter. I need you to stop thinking on the field instead of react. I need you to react. I need to be such a habit of knowing what to do in a football game that you're a little bit faster than the other team. So he'd work with the linebackers, he'd work with the different players. He'd say, what's the cue? As soon as you see the guy next to you or across from you, as soon as you see his foot move, it moves this direction or it's turned this direction, you immediately go right. Don't think about it, go right. He drilled this, drilled this, drilled this. And that became the success of his coaching style as he began to teach same cue, but it used to be, I see the guy's foot, then I look around and I think, do I do this, this, or this? Then I choose to do that and I do it. He began to drill into them, get rid of the thinking stage, make it a habit. When this happens, you go. And that's how they end up winning. He did not erase habits. He replaced them with this new one. Let me show you why God was so brilliant in this. The second reality we see is that you don't erase habits, you replace them. The second one is that cues 
give your brain clues on how to change your habits. So the secret to changing your habits is to focus on what are your cues. In the Power of Habit book, they did a study and found that those who were able to change their habits identified in advance the cues they were going to see, and they decided in advance that when this cue occurred, here's how they'd react. Think of the Starbucks example. When somebody complains, that will be my cue, and I've decided in advance, instead of getting mad or writing things on the cup that I shouldn't write, I've been trained on how to do the latte experience. So in advance, I know the cue. In advance, I choose the routine. And in advance, I know the reward, which is I get to keep my job. And I feel good that I was able to diffuse somebody who was angry. I didn't let somebody control me. I was actually had some self-control. Well, this comes right out of the book of Daniel. And most people know Daniel's the guy in the lion's den. But long before that, he was a teenager who got ripped from his homeland. He got His temple was destroyed. Many of his friends were killed, barbaric destruction by Babylon, and he gets drug off. And on his way to Babylon, he knows he's going to be asked to participate in things that he shouldn't do. Things that are not according to the Jewish custom. He's going to be asked to eat things that are not kosher. So on his way, on the journey to Babylon, as he's in captivity, he makes some decisions ahead of time. And he chooses the cues ahead of time and decides what he's going to do. And here's what the passage says. Daniel purposed in his heart... He made a decision in advance that he would not defile himself with a portion of the king's delicacies. He goes, before I get there, when the king offers me his unkosher food, I'm deciding in advance I'm not going to eat it. Nor with the wine which he drank, therefore he requested, I'm going to instead request of the chief of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. So in advance, he said, when that cue comes, instead of sort of giving in the pressure and, oh my goodness, will they kill me? If they do, they don't. I'm going to instead request um, an experiment, he does. He turns to his boss and says, listen, you get in trouble if I don't look healthy, right? So how about this? We do an experiment. How about I eat my kosher food for six weeks. You let the other guys be the control group, and they eat their, your food for six weeks. At the end of six weeks, see who's healthier. He does it in a respectful way. He does it in a kind way. He says, at the end of six weeks, if I'm not healthier eating my way, then I'll go ahead and give in to your system. And that's what they do. And sure enough, six weeks later, Daniel is healthier and he's able to continue this pattern. But he was able to face temptation because in advance he picked the cues that would be the clues to what he was going to do. That was his secret. Now, back to the Nazarite vow. There's this word in the Old Testament called pli. It's a Hebrew word, pli. It's a weird word. It's hard to know even how to translate. So when you go to take a vow to sacrifice something for a period of time, you're making a pli to God. Here's where it says it. The Lord said to Moses, speak to the children of Israel. Say to them, when either a man or woman consecrates an offering, and that's the word plea, when you plea an offering to God to take a vow of the Nazarite, you separate yourself to the Lord for a period of time, and that's a plea. So it's a special purpose or a time in your life when you choose to change habits in order to seek God in a new way. What does the word plea mean? Well, interesting, the same word is used later in the book of Judges when Manoah, that Samson, if you remember big old Samson with his long hair, he took a Nazarite vow. His parents had been barren for many, many years, and they prayed that God would bring them a son. And God does. And so they bring a sacrifice to God, and they say, God, here's a young goat with a grain offering. And they offered it upon the rock of the Lord. And God did a wondrous thing while Manoah and his wife looked on. It describes this, God makes this fire appear and this amazing miracle occurs. 
Now that is the exact same word, wondrous thing, as used of consecrated. So in other words, when God did a miraculous thing, it was called a plea. God says when you choose to change your habits for a period of time to say, I'm trying to seek God. I don't even know who God is. I'm not even sure he's the God of the Bible yet. But if you just say, I'm going to purposely seek this God, God describes that as a wondrous thing. That of everything God has going on in the universe, he stops and pauses to say, wow, I love the way you're trying to seek me, even if it's for the first time. I love the way you're asking questions. I love the way you're giving voice to your doubts. I love the fact that you're trying to draw near to me. You're doing a wondrous thing when you take a vow, when you practice the sacrifice. Now, last week we met some folks who made that sacrifice, Skylar and Jason. I'll put their picture up on the screen. Uh, And they decide they are going to take the next 60 days or six weeks that we're together, and they are going to be taking this Nazarite vow. And what's amazing is uh, Jason had told me when we began this that his hair grows fast. I didn't realize how fast it really grew. So we took a picture of them. I'll show you. It's really amazing one week later how much this is really growing. They've been drinking miracle Grow or something. I don't know what that is. Well, uh, they probably won't look that way in six weeks. But here's what you notice. When you took the Nazarite vow, some people took it for years. The seven years vows have been recorded. There's one year vows. But often it was a period of time, maybe 60 days or 90 days. But those who took it, see how your hair would get in your way? You'd be scruffy. You'd have a constant cue, wouldn't you? Oh, my, get this out of my hair. And God built this into this vow so that you would remind yourself And you'd have a constant cue to remind you, this is a time I'm trying to seek God's will for my life in a deeper way. I remember several years ago, I took a a vow. Um, You can put a picture of me up on the screen. And it was an interesting time because uh, my hair had never grown out that far before. But uh, my hair changes color a little bit in the summer because uh, I'm blonde. And so let me show you a little bit of what happened when I took the vow. It was pretty amazing. Um, Just really grew out in an incredible way. So I joke about it, but I want you to see how that cue would be a constant reminder. You would have a built-in cue that God put in place in this, in this um, discipline. And so it is something that's very sacred. So whether you give up caffeine, whether you decide to be more thankful, I want you to know that God sees this as something very, very powerful. And the cues are your brain's clues. Now, a couple examples of, of how to do this. Um, this week, I practice fasting. So our, our leadership team, our exec board and elders, once a year, we take a full day, 24 hours, and we go without food. And in our uh, d- discipline guide or our habits guide, we mention every Tuesday that's a habit you might want to try. Just skip one meal, not a whole day, just one meal. We did a whole 24-hour fast as a leadership team. And so when your hunger pains come, that becomes a cue. My typical cue is I'm hungry, therefore I eat. You use that same cue on my hunger pains to pray, God, thank you that I have enough food that I get to eat three times a day. There are people in the world who don't eat even once a week. There's places in the world that mothers make mud sandwiches out of mud and give them to their kids just so they won't have hunger pains. God, oh my goodness, thank you for all the meals I eat and forget to thank you for. So that's a way to use fasting. Now that might be like a black diamond for you. I don't want to try giving up a meal, and that's fine. There's lots of little disciplines in here where you can come up with cues. Here's one for prayer. All of us have a cue built into our wallets, right, or into our pockets, which is our phone. Our phone vibrates. We got, we got a text. Oh, and that's the cue, right? Oh, my goodness, what's going to happen? Who's mad at me or what do I have to do? You can use that to your advantage. The cue is my phone vibrates. Tell yourself the reward is I get to read that email or that text. But just before you do it, shoot up one quick prayer. Rings. Hey, God, thank you for my job. Hey, God, thank you for my marriage. God, help me to break through this habit in my life. 
just decide in advance, here's the cue, the phone ringing or vibrating. Here's what I'm going to do, and here's the reward. Maybe you have a routine of getting Starbucks every week. And so you grab the Starbucks, you sit down, you relax, you take a drink. Just add one thing. I'm going to sit down, and before I allow myself to take a drink, I'm going to pull out the, the discipline guide or the habit guide, and I'm just going to read one verse of Scripture. God, I want to do all things without grumbling and complaining. Then take a sip of the Starbucks. You're going to insert these little spiritual habits into your routines in a way that becomes a habit. So that's how we use these cues. Now, I've never shared this publicly, um, so this is sort of a big day for me. I I used to have a a a 12-a-day habit. Now, this goes back, man, how long ago was that? uh, 12? So it was 96. I had a a a 12-a-day habit. I worked in Cumberland, which is in Atlanta. I worked at a church called Buckhead Community Church. And on my way home, I always passed by the Cumberland Mall. And again, that's a cue for some of us. And, and we drive in. So I didn't have that temptation. But I always drove past this particular restaurant. And it had a big light in the front that would come on every day on my way home from work. And it said, hot donuts now. And it didn't matter if I was hungry or not. I would drive along. The car went into the Krispy Kreme. And so I would say, well, I'll take 12 glazed donuts. And so I had 12 glazed donuts handed to me. And, oh, it's wonderful. So I sat them down. I'm only one mile from my apartment. I set them down in the car, and I'm driving home. And the traffic is so slow that it's going to take me 30 minutes to get home a mile. And so I eat a donut. Oh, it melts in my mouth. Mm. The air, the grease, the sugar, it's wonderful. And, and so I go a little farther. And then just, I don't even realize I'm doing it. Just, I grab another one. Oh, mmm. Well, by the time I get to my apartment, I look over and somebody has eaten all 12 donuts. <laughs> and I remember I got out of my car like, I need to shave my tongue. Oh, and then I'm like, oh, I feel horrible. I just ate 12 Krispy Kreme donuts in the space of one mile. What is wrong with me? And I come home with the empty box. My wife's like, oh, you got Krispy Kremes. Do you have any? No, I don't have any Krispy Kreme donuts. I didn't eat Krispy Kremes for three years after that day. It was so traumatic how bad I felt. But then I, I fell off the wagon and I started again about seven years ago. So I want you to know I am back and I feel like it's a safe place to share that. But I know for me, I had to decide every time I saw that, that hot donuts now light come on, no, 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 no. I remember what happened last time. And instead of, I couldn't replace the habit, don't think about donuts, don't think about donuts, don't think about donuts. I had to say, what am I going to do instead? And I replaced the habit. The third piece I think is critical to understand is that rewards can't be ignored. Rewards can't be ignored. We have this idea that rewards are somehow bad. But that's not the case at all. God has built in rewards. If you read the Sermon on the Mount, which is Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7, there's actually constantly a reference to rewards. Jesus says, great is your reward. Blessed are you when you mourn. When you mourn, there's a reward. You will be comforted. Blessed are you when you hunger and thirst for righteousness. Reward. You will be filled. Great is your reward for those who follow me. So God knows that we're driven by rewards. So Jesus' parables are constantly filled with ways God wants to reward you. So one day... Jesus and his disciples come across a family that has a really bad situation. Horrible situation, and they cannot change. They can't break the pattern. So here's what happens. Jesus turns to this father whose son has this issue, 
and says, if you can believe, all things are possible to him who believes. And immediately the father of the child cried out and said with tears, oh, Lord, I believe, but help me in my unbelief. I love this passage. Jesus doesn't say, no, I either want all belief or none. He says, man, what a great prayer to say, God, I believe a little bit, but I got a lot of unbelief. Help me with that. And if you were exploring the Bible or God or Jesus or spiritual habits for the first time, you're like, I don't believe this is really worth it. I'm not even sure if there's a real God. It's like the giant spaghetti monster in the sky. I'm not sure. This is a great prayer to pray. God, I believe a little bit, meaning I want some of that stuff, but help me in my unbelief. So Jesus doesn't rebuke the guy. He says, you know what, I can work with that. Jesus took him by the hand and he lifted him up and he arose. And when he had come into the house, meaning he, he healed this guy, and when he brought him into the house, his disciples, Jesus' disciples said privately, why couldn't we cast that out? Why couldn't we fix that? And he said, this kind, this type of situation can only be cast out by prayer and fasting. So you might have a habit that you've tried to break. Whatever the habit is, how you use your eyes, what comes out of your mouth. You've got a habit, and you cannot cast that habit out. And you've tried it all. She says there's a spiritual reality, a power source you can have access to if you first practice the discipline of prayer and fasting. Now, I don't really understand how it all works, but I know the reward is I want to break free of this habit. I want my marriage to be better. I want my relationship with my son or daughter to be better. And so I say that's the reward, and the cue is, or the routine is, I want to start trying something I've never done before. I want to try prayer or fasting to pull myself away from a situation and say, God, I need you to break through in a way you never have before. Because there are certain habits that cannot be cast out without a spiritual discipline of prayer or fasting or hungering for God in a new way. Now, this was true in a psychological test they did called the marshmallow test. They found that the kids that were able to wait a long period of time of patience for their second marshmallow were able to do it because they focused on rewards. So you may have heard the experiment before. Here's the gist of it. Each kid's given a marshmallow. If they don't eat it for a certain period of time, they're given two marshmallows. Let's watch what happens and see the secrets, how rewards drive our behavior. Let's watch. So not a lot of kids passed the test, but he did. And they asked him how he did it. They said, first of all, as soon as he heard the, uh, the, the experiment, he immediately decided to imagine that the marshmallow was not a real marshmallow. It was a picture of a marshmallow he couldn't eat. And then he told himself that the reward was if he could wait the whole time, that he was going to, as soon as the, two marshmallows, the second marshmallow was given to him, he was going to immediately shove them both in his mouth. So the whole time as he's tempted just about to do it, he's like, no, it's a picture. And the reward is if I wait, I'm going to shove both those in my mouth. And it's going to be such a wonderful moment. And sure enough, as soon as he got them, boom, he shoved them in. Well, in the same way, part of a spiritual discipline, or any discipline for that matter, is saying I'm going to focus on the reward. And the reward is when we get to this place that I am longing for, I am hoping for a breakthrough in my life, a breakthrough in my habits. I want to focus and I want more peace. I want more self-control. I want more joy in my life. That's my focus. It's not not eating caffeine, or eating caffeine, not having caffeine. It's not not eating meat. Knots don't work. It's I'm doing this because I want a reward of a deeper relationship with God, more access to your power. So here's a few ideas. If you, if you have your um, reflection guides, each day we have a, a series of exercises you can do that will take less than two minutes. These are real short exercises. 
each day. I, last week, did the, the practice um, of hiring an imaginary realtor, so I took a whole truckload of stuff out of my basement to bring some simplicity to my life. This week has got some little verses to read, real simple ways to interact with God, if you're not sure how to do that. Each day, take it two or three minutes. But let's decide ahead of time what the cues are, and ahead of time what the routine will be. Here's some ideas for that. Pick a cue. So yours might be, like I did, getting in the car. You're going to put a stick, it, a, uh, stick a post-it note, a memory verse, on the dashboard. Or you're just going to say, think thankful. So every time you get in your car, think thankful. Turn off the radio. And you're just going to take the time you're already driving to work. Take, don't take phone calls quite yet. Take just an extra two minutes before you grab your phone. Even tell yourself, the reward is I get to use my phone. But I'm going to use two minutes to just thank God. To ask God to help. To ask God to break through in this area. Another cue might be you're sitting down with Starbucks. I'm not going to drink my beverage until after I've read from the habits guide. Just two minutes. Your cue might be turning on the iPad. I'm going to put on a new lock screen with a photo of the guide. And it won't check my Facebook until I've completed the activity. My cue might be, as I mentioned earlier, my phone vibrates, my calendar notification. I will only check my email after I've completed the study or just said a one-minute prayer. Just imagine how many little short prayers you'd have in a given week. Or maybe your cue is you can go to uversion.com and you can sign up. It's free. And you can, they can email you every day a little passage of Scripture that you can read in one minute. See, these are little things. But imagine the cumulative impact of these habits being put into your life. I mean, last week, we as a church packed 272,360 meals for starving children in Africa. They were just shipped off to Central Africa last week. Which means as a church, we have now over 1.3 million meals we have packed over the last four years. That's amazing. All because every year we start a discipline of let's gather a 1,000 people together, let's take $50,000 of our budget, and say we're going to put $50,000 of our budget just toward feeding starving children. So when you give to our church, for example, and we don't do an offering because we don't want you to feel like we're after your money. We want you to go, I love what's going on here. I want to be part of that. But we start a discipline of taking a portion of our money and saying we're going to set aside a time every year to feed starving children. And now, four years later, fifth one, four years though, we have fed over a million people this group at Horizon because of that habit. Imagine the cumulative spiritual impact in your life if you begin to put this in place. It will be powerful. You give up now in order to gain more later. So here's my question. What will you give up and what do you want to get out of it? Ask both questions. In order to do that, I'm going to invite the band to come up. And I want us to have a, an exercise together in discovering what this is. So as you came in today, you were given a piece of paper. And the paper has a lot of words on it. But I want you to have the, the, the side facing you that says Q. So you should be looking at it. should see Q on the left-hand side. And there should be a dotted line down the middle. This is what you should see. Now, we, we did this experiment with lots of folks this week. And the first step is the hardest one. So if you get past the first step, we'll be doing great. So I'll demonstrate for you. You're going to take the side that says Q, and you're going to fold it toward the side that's blank. So you should see the word reward. And then go ahead and go right down the middle. That's what you're going to do. So this is how it should now say reward. So again, you have it open to you where it says Q. You're going to fold from the left to the right on the dotted line. So it now says reward. Now there's a dotted line. Where it says reward, you're going to fold directly down on that dotted line where it says reward. And the word routine should now be facing you. Just like that. Routine. So again, see the word reward? 
Fold down. There's only one more fold. This isn't like high-tech origami here. Just one more fold. Reward. This is a little hard now. The dotted line, you're going to fold this third dotted line where it says routine. And if you do it right, there'll be another dotted line that will line up like so. So you're going to fold that corner down to the corner, and you should have these dotted lines that line up. It should look like that. I'll do it one more time. You should have the word routine, folding the dotted line to the point at which you have some dotted lines that line up. All right? Now, what I want us to imagine is the spiritual discipline we're going to talk about. In fact, I'll have the, the band start to play. We've got a song we're going to play uh, called Reward. What does it mean for God to be our reward? But as we do that, I want you to look at your piece of paper. There's a little dotted line there. And just start a little tear. It's a little hard to get started, actually. Start at the top. It's easier to start at the top when you're done. So start a little tear. I want you to think about what do you want to tear off your life for a short period of time to seek God in a new way? Is it the way you use your mouth? Is it the way you use your eyes? Don't tear it off quite yet. Just start to tear. But think about what that is. Is it your anger? Is it thankfulness? Is it a critical spirit? But what is the thing that for the next few weeks you'd like to tear off your life? And then what do you want as a reward? I'm going to stop being critical so I can be happier. So I can be more thankful. So that I'm not dividing a wedge between me and the people in my life. I want to tear off defensiveness so I can be more open to feedback. Think about what yours is and what mine is. And we're going to rip it together. Ready? Let's rip out down the dotted line. This is that thing that we want to try and give up and replace. Now take the piece that's left. And this is our reward. Let's unfold our reward. That our hope is that by removing this from our life, we will have a little bit deeper understanding of God. A little bit deeper understanding of who he is and what he did. Maybe this becomes your cue this week. You set this next to your bed. Maybe you set it next to the mirror when you brush your teeth and you say, my reward, God, is that I'm going to try and give up, replace one thing in order to find another. Think about that as we listen to the words of this next song about God being our very reward. You might think it's weird to say, well, I thought I want peace. What's Jesus got to do with it? Here's what the Bible describes God as. I was reading through the Quran several years ago and got about halfway through it. The Quran describes that God's will is knowable, but you can't know God. You can't know God in the Quran. God is too far removed. He's transcendent. It's be blasphemous to think you can know God. Now, the Bible describes a God that's very different. He's transcendent, but he became imminent, which means he became personal. And so God is peace. God is joy. God is thankfulness. God is love. But he wants to be in a relationship with you. He's imminent. You can know God. You can have a friendship with God. And so, Jesus, what happened on the cross is a reminder of forgiveness. It's a reminder of peace. It's a reminder of sacrifice. But more than that, it's a reminder that God comes close. He wants us to draw near to Him. So that He will draw near to us. 
That's what Jesus does. That's what God does. This is unlike the Greek religions. It's unlike the, the, the Quran and the Muslim religion. It's very unique that you can know God, that the purpose of your life is that you would be in a friendship with God. It's amazing if it's true. And you'd want it to be true. Even if you don't even believe it is true, you'd want it to be. That the God who made you wants to know you. May that be your reward. Maybe as we close today, you just want to tell God what the reward is. Maybe you want peace. Maybe you're going through a time of grief and you need comfort. Let's just do little one-word prayers. We prompt God and just tell him what the reward is we're seeking during this time of sacrifice. Let's pray together. So maybe the guy just wants to say, God, I am longing for, and I'll give you some words and you can plug them in. God, I'm longing for wisdom for some tough decisions. I'm longing for peace because of my anxiety. I'm longing for love because it's hard to love somebody in my life right now. God, my reward is hope because I'm feeling pretty discouraged right now. God, I need forgiveness because of what I did this week. God, I need courage because of a tough decision. God, we thank you that Jesus is the ultimate example of this. That passage in Hebrews says, For the joy set before him endured the cross. Which means when Jesus was being crucified, spit upon, denied, and betrayed, you set a reward before you. The joy set before you as you were dying is that you wanted to have a friendship with us. You were thinking about us as you were dying, and that made it worth staying on that cross. What a God you are. What a friend you are. We long to know a friend like that even deeper. Use the season in our church's life that we would draw near to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for being here today. If you're new to Horizon, we would love to greet you. Put a name with the face. Third door on your left is the hearth room. We'd love to say hi. If you came prepared to give financially, there's some offering boxes on the way out. If not, we'll see you next week for Habits Part 3.